the scout master went and asked the guy, why did you bring an umbrella to a boy scout outing? And the boy replied, sir, did you ever have a mother? Did you ever have a mother? Now, uh, on the Andes Mountains, there were two tribes that were living. One was on the lowlands and the other was on the high mountains. These two tribes were living in these two areas and they were warring against each other. And these people who lived in the lowlands, they didn't know how to climb up the mountains. But the people from top, they would come down all of a sudden, they would invade these people and take away any booty they could find. And so uh, once it so happened that uh, these people were trying to invade the people, the lowlanders, and they took a baby away as booty and they went away up onto the mountains. And so these people, they found the best of men to climb up the mountain and to go up and find the baby. And, uh, but these people didn't know the terrain well and uh, they had never climbed a mountain, although they had tried several times, they were never successful at all. And so here were these men uh, trying to climb up the mountain and they, they, gather, they gathered the best of them from these lowlanders and they tried to climb up some hundred feet, but it was in vain and they tried their best for, for days and all of a sudden they decided that they couldn't do it anymore. So they thought to themselves, well, uh, this is not proceeding any further and so we'll go down and say sorry to the mother. And as they were packing up the gear, trying to go down to, uh, to the lowlands again, they saw the mother coming up from top of the mountains with, with a backpack and the baby that she was carrying. And they were surprised. And they looked at the mother and they asked the question, now we the best of men from town, we couldn't do it. How were you able to do it? And the mother just smiled and replied, well, it just wasn't your baby, it was mine. That's the mother. It is just like the mother. One of the most difficult and yet rewarding carriers available in the world. One of the most difficult and yet rewarding carriers available in the world. And because of this great position and influence that the mothers uh, exercise in the world, it is fitting to honor mom today. And that's why the practice in America of setting aside every second Sunday of May as Mother's Day uh, is rightly followed. And it was first practiced in Philadelphia by a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis, who lobbied with several presidents and got a nationwide recognition for it. I think she, I think she was following the Mothering Sunday in England, where people used to follow in the Midland Sunday, everybody would come back to their mother church where they were baptized and they would worship there, and that was called Mothering Sunday. Probably she had her ideas from there. But it goes a little early as well, uh, back to the times when the Greeks also followed and, and, and honored their mothers, almost to the point of worshiping their mothers. But I think the practice did not start in America about honoring the mothers. It started right back in the Old Testament times when God in the fifth commandment clearly stated in his word, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. And so I'm glad that this practice somehow has made its way to India, but uh, I'm not happy that my mom is not here to celebrate with me. However, but the fact of the matter is, it's a joy to celebrate Mother's Day today. And today, we will observe from scripture some excellent examples of two women who have influenced the next generation, and in fact, indirectly influenced us by influencing a man in scripture. And my prayer today, as I preach this message to the congregation, is that you will understand and be convinced 
that mothering is the most influential and the most important job in the world. Mothering is the most influential and the most important job in the world. There's no more significant work than shaping the lives of the next generation. And so let's look at two mothers who influenced the life of Paul's uh, most valued traveling companion, and his name is Timothy. And there are two women who influence his life, is what the Bible says. And Paul explicitly mentions those two names and talks about them a bit in the book of Second Timothy. And then, if we can have the outline here, we'll go step by step to see how these women influenced the life of Timothy and what we can learn this morning on the Mother's Day uh, to our lives as well. First of all, we notice that mothers have the greatest spiritual impact on the lives of the children. Mothers are the greatest single tool of God to enable us to live godly lives. Now, Paul in Second Timothy, like I mentioned, on separate occasions talks about these two women and how they influenced and discipled this man by the name of Timothy. Firstly, Paul says in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that Timothy trusted Christ through his mother and grandmother. Timothy trusted Christ through his mother and grandmother. Second Ch- Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. As Paul fondly thought of Timothy and his, and his faith that he had, the sincere faith that he had, he couldn't help but go back to the faith that, it, that his mother had and his grandmother had as well. It is a sincere faith that his mother, grandmother Lois had and his mother Eunice had as well. Now, we don't know how these women came to faith in Jesus Christ. It is not mentioned to us in the New Testament. Even though they had Greek names, Acts chapter 16 verse 1 clearly tells us that Eunice was a Jewish woman and probably Lois was a Jewish woman as well. We don't know. Uh, Probably Lois was converted on the day of Pentecost and she came and shared the gospel at home to her daughter Eunice. We don't know what happened. But the fact of the matter is, these two women were, were, were devout people. And they probably were converted when Paul came to Lystra and preached the gospel to them as well. But the implication here is this, that their faith certainly predated that of Timothy. Their faith certainly predated that of Timothy. Secondly, I find it very interesting here that Timothy's father is not mentioned in this context at all. He apparently was a Greek, an unbeliever probably. And we have no clue as to why a godly woman like Eunice would have ended up marrying an unbeliever. Now, it is very clearly mentioned in the word for us that we ought not to be unequally yoked in the sense that a believer ought not to marry an unbeliever. We don't know what might have happened uh, with, with Eunice. Uh, probably she was raised in a very godly home by Lois, and she must have gone through some kind of a rebellion towards her late teens or early 20s and ended up making a mistake by marrying Uh, This man who was a Greek or an unbeliever, we don't know. Or perhaps she became a Christian after marrying this man. But the fact of the matter is, uh, here is a boy who was born of mixed marriage. A boy who was born of mixed marriage, not just between a Jew and a Gentile, but probably and most probably between a, a, a believer and an unbeliever. And yet, that didn't stop Eunice from having a godly influence on the life of young Timmy. That never stopped Eunice from having a godly influence on the life of Timothy. 
No doubt few of you find yourselves in a position like that, in a situation like that. Or perhaps you have friends who, have, who are raising uh, their kids as single godly people with no support or any supplement from fathers. I encourage you with the example of Eunice. Here in the Bible, it is clear to us that the story of Eunice should give us hope that God can definitely work the same for your children as well as he worked for Timothy. Now, you may be wondering, how will I be able to raise my kid because I don't have any support of a godly father in my family? And if you're already in a mixed marriage, if you think you've made a mistake, and if if you're thinking that you're unable to raise a kid in a godly way, here is the example of Eunice. You can stand as a godly mother and take the example of Eunice and uh, not be so concerned that soul-believing parent will not be able to do much in the life of young people. Abraham Lincoln once said this, no man is poor who was a godly mother. No man is poor who was a godly mother. And he was right. Now here, one primary quality of such a woman who would devote her life, who would devote her life, a godly life, to raise godly kids is sincere faith. And now here is Paul mentioning that word sincere. He remembers their sincere faith. It literally means not hypocritical. Not hypocritical, not phony. It is possible to have a hypocritical, not so genuine a faith. It is possible to have a hypocritical faith, which is not so genuine. Phony faith is the mask that we put on when we come to church or when we are with the people of God, but it's all away when we are back home. Now we see people who are, we sometimes see people who drive uh, uh, who drive to church and they are fighting and the kids are listening to it and as they drive into the parking lot it's all away, they set aside the fight and, and they put on a mask and they show as if everything is fine kids smell phoniness a mile away kids smell phoniness a mile away and also second thing is having sincere faith does not m- imply perfection Having sincere faith does not imply perfection, but it does imply reality with God. It does imply reality with God. Now, such faith dwelt in these two women. It was at home with them. They were real with Jesus. They were taking their quiet times regularly. They were taking their prayer times regularly. And Timothy could watch it very clearly. He could watch the kind of godliness that was oozing out of their lives. And Timothy was impressed as they were spending time in prayer and in the word. This is what uh, a sincere faith means. It means that you read the word regularly, that you study the word regularly, that you pray regularly, and that you spend time with God regularly, you commune with him regularly, you fellowship with his people regularly, and you confront yourself with the word of God, you correct yourself, you help with the word of God, uh, yourself in your sanctification, and you take correction from others as well. And all this would develop deep godly character and qualities, an attitude, an attitude of submission and thankfulness as well. And as your kids see this, they will realize that these are people who are real with God. These are people who are real with God, and that's when they'll be impressed. They are not here to be impressed with any kind of a phony Christianity that belongs to us as our version. They are not here to be impressed with any kind of a phony Christianity that we show as our version of Christianity. But a genuine faith that Paul is talking about, a sincere faith, is contagious 
And Timothy, as he saw these two women, he saw the godliness. He saw the godly character. And he was very, very impressed. And Timothy's face, uh, Timothy's fate could be traced back not just to his mother, but all the way back to his grandmother as well. And these two women impressed him. And he saw the Lord in them. And that's why, and that's how he came to know the Lord. Mothers, as you sit here listening to me, as your children grow up as well and reflect upon you, what will they remember about you? As your children grow up and reflect upon you, what will they most remember about you? Will they think that my mother was always about her career? Will they remember that my mother always had fits of depression? Or will they remember my, uh, their mother's anger all the time? One of the most vivid memories of his mother that my friend has is of his mother's anger. He's 30 years old. But one of the most vivid memories that he has for the last 30 years of his mother is about her anger. One of the earliest and the most influencing intellectuals of the Christian faith was a man by the name of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a hedonist. He was a great philosopher. And he is one of the famous apologists who wrote the work Confessions of St. Augustine, one of the best apologetics works ever written in the Christian faith. But this man was a hedonist, like I said, and he was a rebel. He was an agnostic. He was, he was going haywire in his life. He would, he would never care about God. And he led a very sensuous life. And his mother, Monica, was a very godly woman. She, she used to pray for him every day, spend, spend time on her knees crying out to God for, for him to bring a change in the life of this young man. And one day he was about to leave the shores of Carthage in North Africa and go to Rome and spend his life there studying, probably in a sensuous life as well, enjoying all those pleasures. And his mother was very worried about it. And so she ran to the church for advice and she was spending a lot of time in prayer in the church taking advice. And all of a sudden a bishop was passing by her as she was sitting and praying and weeping badly. And the bishop stopped and looked at her and asked her the question, why are you so bitter, madam? And she said, I have a, I have a son I'm so concerned about. He doesn't like the things of the Lord. He doesn't care about the Lord. Uh, I want him to come to the Lord and I've been praying for him for several years. And the bishop assured her and said this, Go in peace as you live. It cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. Go in peace as you live. It cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. And Augustine avoided his mother. He went on to Rome, but later her prayers took effect and God worked in his heart. And 30 years later, Augustine marvelously comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became one of the foremost apologists of the Christian faith. And Augustine wrote this. One of the foremost things that I remember about my mother is her prayerfulness. is a life of prayer. And my question here is this. Mothers of CBF, what will your children remember you most for? What will your children remember you when they grow up? Will they remember your pushing and pushing them for better grades? Will they remember your moodiness? Or will they remember your godly life? Live your life in such a way that they'll be impressed. They'll be impressed about what Christianity is. That they would come, come to know a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Timothy became a disciple, looking at his mother and his grandmother. And even the Apostle Paul mentions that in his epistle, saying, because of their sincere faith, he came to know uh, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior as well. That's the first thing that we, I wanted to mention here. Secondly, Paul says, Timothy learned the word from his mother and his grandmother. Timothy learned the word from his mother and his grandmother. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In the most reliable Greek manuscripts, the word for whom, the word whom is in plural and says from whom you learned from your childhood. So obviously, Paul is talking about Lois and Eunice here. And the phrase here, knowing from whom you have learned, points to the reality of God's word in these people, both Lois and Eunice. And Timothy looked at their lives, and he understood that the Bible is a real book. The Bible is a real book, looking at the lives of people. John Piper, some of you may know him, a great preacher. John Piper... Uh, took his doctorate in theology from the University of Munich in Germany. Now, for those of you uh, who know about universities here, it should be one of the top 20 universities in the world. It's very tough to get admission into that. University of Munich in Germany was the place where he took his doctorate from. Such a brilliant mind. Now, here is John Piper sitting on a stage and a big audience in front of him. And there was a question from the audience. Why do you believe that the Bible is true? Now, everybody sat back to listen to John Piper with his brilliance and his, uh, and his acumen and all of that and his, and his studies from the University of Munich in Germany. He thought he'd build a wonderful case for the truth of the Bible. And everybody sat back to listen to him. And John Piper, in a hushed voice, looked at the audience and he said, because my mama told me so. And they all laughed. I thought to myself, what's there to laugh about it? That's one of the most profound answers you could give. The Bible is true because my mama told me so. My mom believes that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And she told me it is the inerrant, inspired word of God. You go tell your children that the Bible is the inerrant and the inspired, infallible word of God. They will believe it all of their lives. Go tell it with conviction. Live the kind of life in the home so that they'll believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. That's what happened in the life of Timothy. Lois and Eunice lived that kind of a godly life where Timothy could understand that the Bible is real. Timothy could understand that the Bible is able to save, the word is able to save, the word is able to sanctify the people of God, and the best thing you can do for your kids now is to instill in them a habit for reading the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, and obeying God's word as well. You know, I don't want to share any personal thing in this, testament, uh, in, this, in this sermon because that would be like boasting, but just one simple statement. I used to dread to come to the table for breakfast in the morning if I hadn't read the word that day because my mother would question me about the passage that I should have read that morning. I used to dread if I hadn't read. 
I had to explain the passage that I read for that morning to my mother. And I thank God for her godly influence on my life. And that's why this morning, very early, although it was very early in the morning, I woke her up and wished her and said, thank you for your godly influence on my life. Happy Mother's Day. Now here, uh, we see here that Timothy had that kind of an influence. Lois and Eunice had great influence on Timothy's life. A pastor once told the story of his uh, teeny-weeny, a little toddler daughter, Joy, her name is. He said as they were driving down on a mountain in California, it was a clear blue sky that day, and there were a couple of clouds in the, in the sky, and the daughter looked at the clouds and said, Dad, look there, he, there is Jesus. Dad, look there, there is Jesus. And the pastor was confused, where do you see Jesus here? And, and later on, he asked the daughter, where do you see Jesus? And she pointed to the clouds. And later on, did he realize that a couple of days prior to this incident, they had read from uh, Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus had promised that he would come on clouds. And this little girl was connecting between clouds and Jesus in that way. That is the kind of connections that these little kids make. They understand much more than we think they can. You know, a lot of parents have told me, people who have parented uh, kids over the last many years have told me that we really underestimate kids and their abilities. They can grasp much more than we realize just at the mere reading of the word when we read the word aloud. So I strongly encourage you to begin reading the Bible to your children, even when they are very young. Now notice here, Paul says, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Salvation is built on the knowledge of the truth revealed in the scriptures. Children need to know more than just asking Jesus into their heart. Children need to understand their sinfulness. Children need to understand at least as much as they can the holiness of God. Children need to understand that God is holy and does not look upon sin and comfort. Children need to understand that Jesus is the only way to God. Children need to understand that they cannot, by their good works, or just by their obedience, or coming to church, or going to Sunday school, cannot make it to heaven, or get right with God. Children need to understand all these things. And it is God's word that reveals the condition of their hearts. It is God's word that reveals the way of salvation. It is God's word that tells us that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. It is God's word. That's why that, that needs to be read to them day in and day out. And as you read the Bible to your kids, they will see the stories from the Bible. They will see people who have followed God and have made their lives better. They will see people who have disobeyed God and have ruined their lives as well. They will see that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. They will see the, the, the beauty of the gospel. And all these things can only be understood when they learn that these truths are really true in their lives as well when they are applied in their lives from the Bible. And as you read the Bible to them, pray that God would convict them of their sinfulness. Pray that God would help them understand all these truths as well. In, uh, in volume one of Charles Spurgeon's uh, autobiography, Through Much Tribulation, in chapter six, 
for over 20 pages, he goes on to talk about the mountain of guilt that he carried right from the age of 10 to the age of 15 before he was converted. So for those five years, he was under this mountain of guilt. Imagine a 10-year-old talking about guilt. He says he was under the mountain of guilt for about five years, from the age of 10 till the age of 15. And he is so graphic and was consumed with his own sinfulness that had he lived in our day, we would have probably taken him to a Christian psychologist. But he says this, For five years as a child, there was nothing before my eyes but my guilt. And though I do not hesitate to say that those who observe my life would have seen any extraordinary sin. By the way, he's writing it because he was, uh, he was a minister's son who was a minister in the Church of England. Yet, as I looked upon myself, there was not a day in which I did not commit such gross, such outrageous sins against God that often and often have I wished I have never been born. And after many more pages, he starts describing about his guilt about for disobeying God's law and for his fear of being condemned. And then he says this, listen to this please. Then I was brought down to, my, to see my corruption, my wickedness, my filthiness. For God always humbles a sinner whom he means to save. And then a chapter prior to that, in a chapter prior to that, he talks about how every Sunday his mother used to pray with him, pray with all the children. How his mother used to talk about the sinfulness of men and of our, and of our hearts. How our hearts are totally depraved and our nature is corrupt. And how God is so holy. And then he remembers her one time praying, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish, and my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. My soul must bear a swift witness against them on the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. And he says, That thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. Now Spurgeon's father was a, was a minister, and so he used to stay away from home for most of the time. And one day he realized that he was staying away from home for a, for a long time, and so he came back home one day just to, just to see how things are going. And the entire home was completely silent, and from behind the bedroom door was a voice, that was a voice of his wife, and she was praying aloud for each and every one of her kids by name. That they would come to know a save, that they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and looking at that, he thought to himself, their kids' lives are in safe hands, and then he leaves for his speaking engagement. Now, this woman is the one who gave, who gave to the world, who came to be known as the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon came to be known as the Prince of Preacher, as the Prince of Preachers, and behind him was the influence of a prayerful and a very godly mother. God's word is mighty to save. It is sufficient for all of life and of godliness. It is profitable for teaching the ways of God. And it really, really uh, reveals the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts as well. Your kids should see you applying scripture in your life. Your kids should see you applying scripture in their lives as well as they grow more and more mature in their lives. Mothers, use God's word to lead your children to Christ and even in their Christian lives as well. Apply the word to their lives so they understand how God's word applies to their lives. So we've seen two things so far here. First thing is, mothers have, sorry, first thing is, mothers have the greatest spiritual impact on the lives of their children. 
Then there's a second thought I want to leave with you this morning. And that is, Mother's Day should remind us, should remind each of us some important approaches. And I want to leave an application with each one of you, no matter who you are. I want to suggest an application, first of all, for mothers. Mothers should leave, lead a godly, mothers should leave a godly legacy to their children. One of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to be a godly mother. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to be a godly mother. Now, sadly, the influence of feminist theology has come and caused the status of motherhood to diminish. And a lot of people are looking at careers more than motherhood. And a lot of people find fulfillment in their careers more than motherhood. And even Christians have adopted such a principle as well. And that kind of a trend has come into the church. Now, while I realize that there are some families with financial strains where they need the working of a mother. For example, in families that have a single mom, she needs to work and support the family. But there are situations, even in churches, where it's slowly creeping in, where the want of a better lifestyle is making the mother of the family work. When they could get by just with a father's income, even the mother works just to give them a better lifestyle. And as Christians, I don't think we should trade away a better future for our children just for a better lifestyle. I don't think we should trade away a better future and a more godly legacy that we leave to our children just for a better lifestyle. Susanna Wesley was a woman like that who had such great influence on 19 of her children. I wouldn't want to do the dishes for that family. 19 children. And she herself was one of 21, so she came from a lot of experience, I guess. Susanna Wesley raised two giants of faith, Charles the hymnist and John the preacher. Charles Wesley wrote a, wrote a lot of hymns. Some of them have found their way into our songbook as well. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God should die for me? A beautiful song written by Charles Wesley. And then you have John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism a denomination that has stood for the cause of Christ and for the gospel through the centuries. But these two men, these two sons under God, they brought a revival to England, while France at the same time underwent a bloody revolution. And even the secular historian Lecky, who had, who had no inclination to think spiritual, he says, if it weren't for the preaching of John Wesley, even England would have been lost in a revolution. That is the kind of effect profound effect that these two people have had on England and around the world as well. But Susanna Wesley impacted all of England is what I would say, more than John Wesley and Charles Wesley have. And how did she do that? Here's how she did. She spent one hour every day in prayer without fail, praying for all the 19 kids by name. One hour in prayer every single day, praying for all the 19 kids by name. And she had several rules. And some of them for our century may sound comical, but look, at, but look at the kind of rules that she had for the family. I've just written a few of them. No child was given anything because he cried for it. In her house, the kids rarely cried aloud. No eating and drinking between meals except when sick. At 7 p.m., each child was put to bed, and at 8 p.m., she left the room. She never allowed herself to sit by, by the bed until the child fell asleep. 
So the child had to fall asleep all by himself. Number four, each child had to eat and drink everything that is set before him. She never allowed herself to show anger or to scold. And yet, she would never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. She taught her children to pray as soon as they could speak. She taught her children to pray as soon as they could speak. Now, you can trace the legacy of her children down through centuries, and I'm sure they've impacted your life indirectly as well, as surely as they did mine. And her godly life multiplied the lives of her children and around the world as well. But think about a contrasting story of another man, a man who was 17 years old, and for all those 17 years, he was treated well by his mother. He, she always used to abuse him, scold him. And here's a man, one day who was standing on a field with both his parents, and he turned his back upon them, and he didn't even turn so much to say bye uh, uh, and, and, and leave. He said, this is the last time I'm seeing you, and I'd never come back to you again. And this man later went on to, went on to make a pact with Satan himself. And then perpetrated upon humanity one of the worst of atrocities, and we call that the Holocaust. And I'm talking about Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was abused by his mother, and he went on to give evil onto the world. What kind of a legacy are you leaving for your children? For what will they remember you the most? Your commitment to teaching your commitment to prayer and godly example will bring the greatest fruit in your children's lives. Here's the point. What do you have to do today to make, you, to make them remember you for what you want them to remember you? What do you have to do today to make them remember you for what you want them to remember you? Maybe you have to make a commitment to show much lesser anger than you already do. Maybe you have to make a commitment to watch less TV and read more of the Word. Maybe you need to make a commitment to spend more time at home and not even in ministry sometimes. Maybe you need to begin a time of reading scripture with your kids. I know of a man whose kids are 11, 9, and 7. And he spends 20 minutes with each kid, helping them take their quiet time every day. I dare say that some of us sitting here even need to quit our jobs to give that kind of a care to our kids. And I promise you, it is worth it. Mothers, leave a godly legacy to your kids. Leave a godly legacy your kids. And secondly, for the rest of us who are not mothers and who can never be mothers, I'm talking about men. Love, respect, and cherish our mothers. Love, respect, and cherish our mothers. I don't know how you're going to do it, but some of you are in a bitter relationship with your mother. Probably by sending some flowers or maybe by sending an email. Or probably it's been a while since you called your mother and talked to her. Pick up your phone after the sermon and just wish her happy Mother's Day. Love, respect, and cherish your mom. 
I want to say to you on this Mother's Day, think about one trait of hers, one characteristic of hers that has poured into your life, and praise God for that. And for some of you whose moms have passed away or have gone to the Lord, I would suggest this. Go to your dad and tell him how much he's working hard just to show the love of both the mom and the dad to you. That'll mean a lot. A mother's influence is the most powerful influence in all of the world. Nobody else is going to influence you as much as your mother will or already has. There's a great amount of truth to the cliche. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And for good in the case of Timothy, for evil in the case of Hitler. Thank you so much for your patience. May God bless you as you contemplate on this. But there's one thought that I want to leave with you, uh, a quote by President Theodore Roosevelt. He said this, When all is said, it is the mother and the mother only who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for the country. The successful mother, the mother who does her part in rearing and training aright the boys and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation, is of greater use to the community and occupies, if only she would realize it, a more honorable as well as more important position than any man in it. The mother is the one supreme asset of the national life. She is more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. The mother is more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. May, may God bless you as you think about all of these things. And once again, to all the mothers, happy Mother's Day. And uh, may you pour out into the lives of the next generation. God bless you all. Thank you.